0: I invite you to turn with me to the book of Joshua. We'll be walking through portions of chapters 23 and 24 for our sermon this morning. Uh, as you turn there, would you uh, pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your presence with us now through your spirit. Draw us near unto yourself through your Son that we might hear from you and that we might be willing to receive that which you have for us in your word. Living and active, O Lord, pierce our own hearts, our own minds, that we might see and hear of Christ more clearly. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to walk through Joshua 23 a bit. So Joshua 23, the first two verses read this way. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old, well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. The book of Joshua ends with two concluding speeches, Joshua to Israel and her leaders. We're going to be fast forwarding through the book of Joshua and through his story as we transition into the work of judges in the life of Israel here. What we see, though, from Genesis to our text today, we've seen a succession from from Abraham to Isaac and and then to Jacob and Israel. His name is Jacob, is Israel. And then from from Israel, then, we have the the tribes being formed. From those tribes, Moses is raised up to lead Israel in an exodus and a freedom. And now he hands off the mantle to Joshua, who leads them in conquest of the land. Now... At the end of Joshua, however, there's no clear successor, is there? What happens next? Who's going to lead Israel now that Joshua is old and well advanced in years and preparing to die? So, here's what we see at the end of Joshua Israel is left this way Israel is left longing for a better, a more permanent Joshua. Joshua's been great, the people have been faithful. Joshua still dies. They need a new and better Joshua to be raised up. Secondly, they need to be looking to God as their king, as their ruler. This is the story of Joshua. It's the story of Judges. It's the story of kings. It's all of Israel's history. God has brought them into the land, although it's an incomplete conquest. After decades of battle, the question is for them, how will they live now while they are in the land? And that's what Joshua, as he prepares for his final breath, is instructing them. With his last few breaths, he's instructing them. This is how we are to live in the land. So drop your eyes down to verse 8. I think it summarizes what Joshua is saying. Verse 8 says of 23, But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. Drop down to verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, make marriages with them so that you associate with them, they with you, and so on cling. This is Joshua's final exhortation. Cling to the Lord your God. At whatever cost, whatever is required of you, cling to the Lord. And the way that Joshua is doing that in these last two exhortations is through a covenant renewal service. There's vows being taken before the living God here. The question is how are we to live in the land that God has given us? It says cling to the Lord and don't cling to idols. Cling to your husband who has called you his bride don't cling to those false lovers offering themselves freely cling you might recognize that word cling it comes from genesis right a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife or hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh the exhortation of joshua here is to live in the land with god as your Husband and you as his bride. Cling to Yahweh, who has given you this inheritance. The word cling images the union of husband to wife, the becoming of one flesh. Israel is to be united with their God, and they might flourish in that union. As Joshua gives his final charges here, in the same way that Moses gave a final charge, in the same way that Jacob gave a final charge. He is urging God's people to fidelity, to faithfulness to God. Saying you're united with Yahweh, you're united with your God, therefore you must hold fast to him. This is the God who has delivered you, who has sustained you, who has saved you. Hold fast, cling to your God. To sum up Joshua 23 and 24 and these two charges from Joshua, their dying leader, cling to the Lord your God, Twelve times, the Lord your God has said twelve times by Joshua, cling to him, the Lord your God. Now, verse 3 and 4 continue this thought. And verse 3, you have seen all the Lord has, your God has done to all the nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain along with all the nations that have already been cut off. We see a few things here. There's nations conquered as they get into the land, but there's still nations that remain. Did you catch that? The nations that remain. There's a conquest, but it's not as full yet. So we note a few things. Like we said, Joshua is preparing to die, and the question is, well, what next? We're in the land. The Lord has provided, given us inheritance, but what now? Secondly, we see that the nations have been subdued throughout the land, but that the nations remain. In verse 6, Joshua promises God's continued work to push back the enemies that remain in the land. But that means it's a confession that, that the land is not yet fully cleansed or, or consecrated to God holy. Third thing we note is that the land has been allotted to the 12 tribes to inhabit as their inheritance. They are given rest in the land, rest for their dominion. Remember, like when we get to this point here in Joshua's uh, narrative here, that they've been warring in Canaan for decades at this point. They've been conquering the southern region, regions of, of the land. Then they traveled up north and conquered regions up there and come back to the center. Decades of conquest so just to help us get a little bit of visual here i have a couple of maps for us a few maps here so this is the southern region you can see jericho on the far right side that's where it all began the first fruits of peace for the land right and you've got ai and you can see this is kind of a southern campaign over by the dead sea and they get down towards hebron and they work towards the southern border of the land that's how the conquest started Uh, recognize that joshua 13 almost to this point is Recounting a lot of this allotment. I didn't think that just mentioning a lot of names is not very entertaining sermon preparation and stuff, or for sermon delivering either, right? But the, just know all of this is in Joshua 13, 14, 15, 16, et cetera, et cetera, Now, the next slide will show us the north. After they walk through the south and are conquering that, then they go up north past the Sea of Galilee, and they go all the way up close to the, the northern border on both sides of what would be the Jordan River there as well. And then after that they come down to the center region and they conquer there. The last slide I have gives us the the big picture there. And you can see this is what the land looked like after Joshua had allotted each of the tribes their inheritance. You'll notice that two and a half tribes, because Manasseh is on the east and the west, but two and a half of the tribes settle on the east side of the Jordan, right? You'll also notice that if you think of the 12 tribes of Israel, there's two that are not uh, settled here, right? Joseph doesn't get uh, land. Why not? Well, he's given a double portion. He gives his children, Manasseh and Ephraim, get the inheritance, okay? So this is just by way of review here. You also notice that, the, that Levi, the Levites don't have land because the Lord is their inheritance. They, they settle throughout the region and depend on the tribes to provide for their needs as well. So this is just to help set the the, uh, the table for us and seeing right now at the end of the book of Joshua, the land has been conquered, though it's incomplete, and the land has been distributed or allotted. And now Israel dwells in their tribes, in their regions, still as one people, they'll spread out to take dominion over the land that God has given them. There's going to be a quiz on that by the end of this sermon, so just hope you guys got that. We'll. Shut that off now, okay? So, by the end of uh, Joshua, after this allotment has been recorded, we read this at the end of chapter 21. This is what Joshua summarizes the Lord's work. He says, Thus far the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and he took possession of it. They settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All of it came to pass. All of it came to pass. God's word is true, Joshua's saying. So that they can sing, as the psalmist later sings in Psalm 16, the lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, we have a beautiful inheritance. Israel is a graced people in a given place to take dominion, spread holiness that they might dwell with the living God. How are they to do this? How are they to live in the land? Verse 6 of chapter 23. Therefore be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left. His dying words, his dying breath, Joshua exhorts them, find the strength to obey God's word. Back in Joshua chapter 8, after they had begun the conquest and they had failed in some of it, Joshua renews covenant between God and the people. And in so doing, he writes all the words of the law of Moses out. And then he reads it before all the leaders, all the men, the women, the children. He renews covenant with their God. And that's what he's doing here as well. He's recording again for the people all the words of the law of Moses given to him by God and I think it's interesting that what does is, what is Joshua command here but strength? That's what the first command Joshua received from the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Be strong in keeping God's word. Isn't that interesting? Be strong to keep God's word, to obey it, to keep it. It's not the kind of strength found in bodybuilders or the kind of strength um, that, that, that you can just muster up by sheer resolve. It's this, it's, but it is a strength of resolve that's, that's manifest in the, the sufferer who clings to God in the midst of his sorrow and suffering. It's the two spies who defy cowardice in the face of insurmountable odds because God promised. It's the strength to pour over God's word and commune with him in prayer when the urgent cries for your attention and your energy. And so it is for us. See, Joshua's legacy, so to speak, here at the end, is that of a man who held fast to God, trusting firmly in his word. Is that our legacy as well? So that when God says that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that's his promise. Are we those who then rise to get out of bed to face a new day, even though he seems absent? We hold fast to that word. When our foundation for our identity begins to crumble, that project we work so hard on flops. and We let someone down that we really care about. We trust that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us that we've been bought with a price and we belong to him no matter our failures or when fear grips us and anxiety of an uncertain future takes hold can we trust that indeed jesus says i am the good shepherd as joshua said in chapter 23 verse 14 he says i'm about to go the way of all the earth and you know in your hearts and souls all of you that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. In one breath, Joshua says three different ways, God's word has never ever failed. It's vital that this be true. Not only for them, but for us. Because temptation to idolatry will always entice God's people. And so, Joshua warns not only to have strength to trust in God's word, but look at verse 7. So he's saying, have strength to to obey God's word, 7. That you may not mix with the nations remaining among you, or make mention of their names, of their gods, or swear by them, or serve and bow down to them, verse 12. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you, make marriages with them so that you associate with them, and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap before you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Joshua lays before them the simple choice, and it's clear cling to Yahweh, or you're going to cling to idols. Cling to Yahweh or you're going to cling to false gods pretending to be God. Look, says Joshua, you've been clinging to God these long years of conquest and he has conquered for you. But if you forsake your first love, Joshua warns them, know that these very nations whom you will inevitably serve, these very nations will entrap you. They will consume you. And Yahweh, your God, will give you over to your adulterous passions. Of course, when we get into the book of Judges, we see Israel fall into this trap time and time again throughout the rest of Israel's history. And our lives could be recorded much the same way. Already we see that the, the conquest in the land has been incomplete and there is danger lurking amongst the nations, an enticement to return to lovers less wild. If we were to move to uh, Joshua's second and final speech, Joshua makes the choice very clear. So let's jump to chapter 24, verse 14. 24, verse 14, Joshua's concluding remarks say this, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your, your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know that we see this a lot in the other portions of scripture. But what we see in verse 14 is that when, when Israel was in Egyptian bondage and slavery to Egypt. Here it acknowledges that they worshipped the gods of Egypt. So there was idolatry in slavery for them. Israel worshipped Egyptian gods. And Joshua's here is telling them to put away. Are they still carrying these gods with them? Put these gods away. The gods that Abraham and company worshipped beyond the river. He says it three different times. got to put those gods away. The gods that the Amorites are serving in the land. you got to put those gods away. The pockets of the Israelites seem to be cluttered with the gods of the land. They must put the gods away. The same thing that Abraham had to do as he entered the land and set up altars to the living God. The same with Jacob as he returns with family, burying foreign idols under a terebinth tree. This is Jacob's or Joseph's. Uh, call. Fidelity to God. Fidelity, faithfulness to God is our most basic and eternal obedience to Him. Fear the Lord. Serve Him with sincerity and faithfulness. That's what Joshua is commending to them. The last words that he has for them is faithfulness, fidelity to God. Now we probably don't have Canaanite statues or Egyptian relics to bow before but idolatry calls out to us just as loudly, just as strong longing for our affections. And so Joshua's word rings true to us today. Choose this day whom you will serve. Faith is the moment-by-moment choosing of service to God alone. As we've preached and taught here, we've talked about idolatry in our day a number of times, acknowledging that the heart is an idol factory. We can tend to bow down to many things, any number of things. We arrange our lives paying homage to personal comfort, Above love for neighbor, we pursue success over love for others. What is it that we bow down to in the way that Israel was ensnared by their false gods and idols? Self-reflection of our daydreams might reveal our heart's passions, our pull towards false gods. When something's taking from us and it turns our world upside down, that could be revealing of what we tend to bow before. Joshua warns here many times in his final two speeches, of the trap that idolatry is, because he knows that Israel will fall, that Israel will fail. Time and again. The people hear this warning and they assure Joshua several times throughout his speeches: we will forsake the idols and we will serve Yahweh alone. Look at verse 24, or chapter 24, verse 19. After the people had just assured him, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua, verse 19, said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you Good. And the people reassure him, we will love the Lord our God above all else. And this interaction happens three different times here. The people assure him they will not flee their God. They will not wed foreign gods. They will not fail God. And three times Joshua warns them, yes, you will. His final act before drawing his final breath is an answer to this quandary. A commitment that will fail. How do they go on in the land when they will fail Their covenant obligations. Verse 25 of chapter 24. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, put in place statutes, rules for them at Shechem. Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone, set it up there under the terebinth. That was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard all the words of the Lord that he has spoke to us. Therefore it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal falsely with your God. This is a way that God has been dealing with his people throughout the scriptures and throughout redemptive history. He's covenanting with his people. It's an oath from God saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. And the people respond, we will be your people and you will be our God. Joshua has been warning the people of the curses that follow disobedience. He's been giving them the blessings that accompany obedience in this God's covenant relationship with his people. And Joshua is acknowledging that you will fail, but he's also setting up the pattern, the template, that your God is faithful. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You can renew a covenant with your God, and he will be your God. You will be his People, and that's what our worship service is every Sunday. As we gather together, we are simply renewing covenant with the living God. We gather to hear his word, which is steady, which is true, and which never fails. We renew commitment, saying we will be your people. You will be our God as we rise in the assurance of our forgiveness. Now, I know that without a shadow of doubt, each and every one of us has bowed before false gods even this past week. We have forsaken our first love. As we did the week before, as we will do the week before us now. Remember Peter vowing fidelity to Jesus as he approached the cross? Even though everybody else will run away, I'll never leave you. And what does Jesus say? Well, three times you'll deny me. And sure enough, Peter says, I'll be with you. And three times, Peter denies him, and the rooster crows, and Peter weeps. It's very much what we have here between a Joshua and Israel interaction. We'll be faithful. No, you won't. We'll be faithful. You're going to fail. We'll be faithful. You're going to fall. But the risen Christ calls to Peter, doesn't he? To renew covenant with him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, and feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Covenant fidelity is secure in Jesus Christ, the greater Joshua. The last thing that Joshua did here is he sets up a memorial stone. Seems a strange thing to do for us today. But it's a memorial. And we've talked about memorials and how they function. It's a witness, as he says here, against the people should they forsake their God. It's like when Jesus was praised in his triumphal entries and the Pharisees seek to silence him. Jesus warns, even if these people were silent, these stones would cry out. This memorial stone will cry out against the people of Israel should they forsake the living God as they have committed to be his people and he their God. It's also a crying out to Yahweh as you have conquered the land and given it as an inheritance. Do not forsake your people. So that Joshua, with his dying breath, he says this in verse 28. So Joshua sent the people away, every man to his inheritance. God is faithful. Not a word will return to him void. His promise is true, his deliverance eternal. And yet we come to the end of the book of Joshua and we see that Joshua, this Joshua, was not enough last thing we hear of him is that he dies and is buried in the land. At the end of this book, we are left longing for a more permanent Joshua. We need a true and final Joshua to fight and conquer on our behalf. A final Joshua to give us rest in the land as our inheritance, to grant us our inheritance And we know Jesus Christ is the better Joshua. Jesus' very name is Joshua, a true, a better, a final Joshua, where he has conquered Satan, sin, and even death itself. And his spirit has given us in this life as a guarantee of our full inheritance, who is God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, God's people, hide ourselves in God's prophet, who is Joshua, Joshua. We establish and build our lives on his word. We forsake idols day in and day out, always and only in his grace, that we might ever always and only cling to God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, and we ask your blessing upon it now as we've heard from it, you. Would you conform our image, ourselves into the image of your dear Son, that we might depart this place in your peace taking dominion over all things in all places that you give us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.